you know, today we're, we're in a place of sadness and mourning. This past week was, it was a week of deep tragedy for our community. We, we mourn this morning little baby Mary Diana. She was born in the Eastwood building on Wednesday uh, in one of the rooms there, no doctor present. Um, this is a building we care a lot about. We've got several members, people from our congregation who live in the Eastwood building. We have people who live on the Eastwood block. And uh, shortly after baby Mary Diana was born, her life was cut short by a horrible act of violence. And so we mourn baby Mary Diana. As we consider her mother and her mother's family, some of us feel sadness for them too. Some of us feel angry. Some of us feel afraid. And likely, a lot of us feel a mixture of those things, maybe all three. Here's a prayer from the memorial service that we had on Friday. It's a prayer written by Nicole Sanga. We prayed this uh, from, from this podium here on Friday. Merciful God, a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. Lord, have mercy upon the souls of those who are responsible for the suffering of Mary Diana. We do not know the fear or darkness or illness that may even now overwhelm their souls. May light and freedom break forth through the path of weeping and repentance. And may your healing and forgiveness be given to every person who turns to you with a broken and contrite spirit. Protect us as a community from the spirit of darkness and judgment and hatred that we too would be ready to point the way to the mercy of God. Amen. In our grief, we long for the city to come. We long for the city to come as we mourn. Um, there's a cry of the heart that I've heard many times this past week, and it's the cry, if only. If only. If only she would have walked just a few feet to Weiss and dropped the baby off there. If only she would have given me the baby, I would have gladly cared for that little girl. If only, if only love could have overcome fear rather than the other way around, we might still have Mary with us. Like I said, we had a memorial service for baby Mary Diana right here on Friday afternoon. Aaron Sanga spearheaded this um, after we got the news of the death. And, and at that memorial service, I feel like I caught some glimpses of the new city. Um, you know, there was at least like half a dozen cultures represented and nationalities represented here in, in the Kiva. Several uptown churches came. They just showed up. Um, and, you know, there was a space uh, for those in mourning to be comforted, and I'm really grateful that Jesus provided that space. People were generous. People brought, you know, of their own accord. They, they got flowers and coffee and snacks and just kind of made it available to all who, you know, it was comforting. Um, and you don't know that those simple things actually are, mean a lot, and there's some generosity. And this was all of the Lord. You know, um, Jesus was lifted high in uptown. He was making himself known in ways that were visible and tangible and personal right in the midst of our community's 
sadness, and loss. Um, the mourning were comforted. The vulnerable were honored and named. Um, we were in pain, but Jesus was in our midst. We were in pain, but Jesus was in our midst. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all the glimpses of the new city that we experienced here. And yet we long for more, don't we? We, we say, come Lord Jesus. We, we cry out, Lord have mercy. We cry out, Christ have mercy. We say, Lord have mercy. We say, let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done on Eastwood Avenue as it is in heaven, right? Let your kingdom come, Jesus. Let your will be done in Uptown as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in Chicago as it is in heaven. We cry out, come soon, Lord Jesus. Bring your new city within our old and broken city. Bring your just and loving rule not just to Chicago, but to Paris and Beirut and Syria and Iraq and South Sudan and to Nigeria. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. In today's gospel reading, Jesus gives us a parable about that city to come. It's a city we long for. It's the city that we're seeking. He pictures the city as a spare, no expenses feast where the whole village comes together. The honored guest is a long lost son <coughs> whom everyone thought was gone forever. It's a surprise reunion. Don't you love surprise reunions? There's singing, there's rejoicing, there's dancing. And heading up this party is the most unusual father the father of us all, uh, the father like you've never seen him. In this parable, Jesus will describe two false paths into that city. And these paths are pictured as two lost sons. One son takes the path of self-discovery. He seeks the city to come by casting off all authority. And some of us are tempted to seek the new city in this way. Maybe all of us in some way. The other son takes the path of cold reciprocity. The first son, he's going about it with self-discovery. The other son seeks the new city with cold, exacting reciprocity. And whereas the younger son casts off authority, the older son casts off vulnerability. And some of us are tempted to seek the new city in this way, too. In, in his mind, the older son's mind, the new city is built on a series of favors and exchanges. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. This is what some of us call the Chicago way. Our city was built on this way. And believe it or not, some of us, uh, we do operate in the Chicago way in relationship to God. And in relationship to the city to come. Both are false paths. The path of self-discovery, the path of reciprocity. These are false paths into the new city. Um, there's only one way into the new city, and it leads through the embrace of the Father. 
And my prayer is that we would receive that embrace today and continue our pilgrimage into the new city together as those who don't deserve to be there because none of us do. I want just, if you haven't already, please turn to Luke 15 so that we can read about the father and his two sons. Starting with verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now at this point in the story, 100% of Jesus' audience would already hate this guy. He's already the bad guy. Um, Kenneth Bailey, as I mentioned before, uh, last week, he's a New Testament scholar who lived for decades in the Middle East. Um, explains why everyone would hate the younger son at this point. He says this, For 15 years I have been asking people from all walks of life, from Morocco to India and from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications for a son's request for his father's inheritance while the father is still living. And the answer has almost always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs as follows. Has anyone in your village made this request? Never! Could anyone make such a request? Impossible! If anyone did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? Because this request means he wishes his father was dead. We are supposed to really hate the younger brother, the younger son, and cheer for his father to pummel him and run him out and show him who the father is. That's what everyone wants. They're salivating for Jesus to talk about what the Father does to regulate on this precocious, sassy, selfish boy. But what does the Father do? Second half of verse 12. And he divided his property between them. Now we miss something in this translation when it says he divided his property between them. The word for property is the word bios. And the word bios often in the New Testament literally refers to one's life and everything that encompasses it. It's hard for you and I to understand this because of the way our culture works where we liquidate property all the time. But in the ancient Near East, in first century Palestine, if you were a landowner, you didn't just own the land. The land owned you. You were given property as part of a generational inheritance, as part of a, an identity within the existing village. And the ecosystem of that village and the ecosystem of your identity was tied up in you being faithful to the land. Because you didn't just own it, it owned you. Your land, your identity, your reputation, your relationships, your money, your livelihood, it is all bound up together. It's enmeshed and tightly wound together. And so when his father sold his property and divided it between his sons, he was ripping his life apart on behalf of his two sons. He sold off all his land. He forfeited his reputation in the village. And he gave up his own security and he gave up his own livelihood. Now what's interesting is we don't hear a peep from the older brother, and there is something wrong with that. Because 
The father's not the only one who breaks the convention. It's also the older brother. He doesn't say a daggum thing when his father gives him two-thirds of the land, which is his portion as the older brother. Verse 13, Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Now, we'll stop there again. This is adding insult to injury. For you to liquidate the property that you're given, it's not just that you want your father dead. You, you, want the, you could care less about the village and the way of life of the village and the relationships of the village. You were saying, I, could care, I, I want to utterly reject as fast as I can, not many days later, I will leave this village to which I belong. It was like saying to everyone that he shared a village with, I utterly reject this way of life. I utterly reject you. And he takes a journey into a far country, sending himself into unclean places, unclean lands, and taking all of the wealth of the, or some of the wealth of the village with him into those unclean lands, which would have been sacrosanct. He's exiling himself. It was an immoral act. It was a gross act. Verse 13, second half of verse 13, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And the language is vague, reckless living. It's shorthand for throwing off all restraint, casting aside all authority. There's no more yoke. You can do whatever you want with your inheritance. So he, ha- he has an inheritance. It's still with him, but he's using it as he wants to, not as his father or his village or his ancestors want him to. He's squandering it. He's spending it. My father is dead to me. The village is dead for me. All I wanted was my father's stuff anyway. I don't want his love. I could care less about his restraints. I'm finding my way one history-making bold decision at a time. The journey of self-discovery continues. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now, this is what you have a village for. This is what you have a father for. They protect you. They come together. They provide for you. Some of you who have gone through crisis knows this. But he's got to make it on his own. He's finding his own way. He's finding his own path. He's still got his pride. And so he's not going back. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, a Gentile, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. This is one of those jobs that if you had wealth in a famine and you had lots of people coming to you for help, please give me food, please help me, I'm going to die. And you go, okay, you want help? Why don't you go feed my pigs? And they're like, no deal. Forget about it. It's the kind of job, you, it's a go-away job that you give somebody. Yeah, you're, you're welcome to come clean my toilets. That's what he was inviting this Gentile person was inviting him to do, but he takes the job because this is his plan. This is the only thing he's got. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He can't go any lower. Uh, He's starving. He might die soon. He has no resources. He's among pigs, which were a symbol of the unclean land that he was dwelling in. and the unclean life he was leading. And now, he's earnestly desiring gross things. He wants to ingest p- 
pig food into his body and he wants it so badly. He can't go any lower. Um, one thing we can say about him is he's totally committed to the path of self-discovery. Some of us really are drawn to this approach. Um, we're ready to evolve beyond the stifling moralism of our parents. It's boring. It's not leading to anything good. Yeah, we have a heritage, but we'd like to express it differently. We'd like to find our own way. You know, we look at the system, we look at the status quo, and we're like, no. No, that's not getting us anywhere. That's not leading to the new city. I do not accept it. And so we cast off authority, we cast off protection, and we offend people in the process to find something better. So we do what we want with our bodies, with our money, with our power, with our time, with our beliefs. Sometimes we feel some shame and guilt about it. Sometimes we pay a really steep price. And sometimes we commit and just keep going. And then other times we're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And so we crawl back. And some of us try as best we can to clean ourselves up. We're like, you know what? I'm just going to, I know I've been bad. And so I'm going to try to clean myself up and make amends. And this is what the younger son decides to do. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In this culture, a hired servant was a very low position. The servants had several tiers. The hired servant was the lowest one. His goal is to pay his father back. Even the score, he's running at a deficit. He wants to bring it to zero. He wants, to, he wants a zero balance. He's like, hey, I'm in bankruptcy, and I'll do whatever it takes. I will serve you, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to earn my way back so that I don't owe you anything anymore. He wants to redeem himself. He knows his status as a son is totally forfeit. He chucked it. He knows it's gone. So how is his father going to respond? How will the village respond? Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. Now, if he's going to get to his father, do you know where he's going to have to go through, what he's going to have to go through? He's going to have to run the gauntlet through the village and endure the cold stares and endure the jeers and endure the hate. He's going to have to pay by walking through the village. Second half of verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father is running the gauntlet for the son. The father is is doing what no Middle Eastern father would do. He is picking up his skirts and he's moved with emotion and he's running through the village and then he's embracing his son and then he's kissing his son. And a lot of commentators look at this and go, this looks more like a mother than a father. And he takes all the shame and lets his reputation get ground down even more because he's so moved with love for his son. 
He has a deep level compassion. It's gut level for his son. His love for his son runs so deep and so powerful um, that it compels him off his seat to his son, overflows for the son, and scandalizes the whole village. This is the new wine that comes down that breaks the old wineskins. This is the new wine that you need new wineskins for, that creates a new city. This is what the younger son was trying to do with his bold decisions. It could only be done by the love of the father. The village would never be the same once it saw this love in a personal, tangible, visible way. He accomplishes what the younger son was trying to do in a far country. And the father doesn't let him redeem himself, and this is so important. He doesn't let him make amends. And when we apologize, and when we, even sometimes when we pray, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I'm sorry for, would you forgive me? He doesn't even let him finish his speech. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So, but his father's like, nah, stop. Um, his father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put him on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Whole village, the father, the younger son, the whole village Bring the best robe. That's the father's robe. Put it on him. Shoes, ring. His status is completely restored. Bring the fattened calf. This is, you know, this is the best meat. This is a once-in-a-lifetime meal. Meat was a delicacy in the ancient world, and the fattened calf was the, was, was the ultimate feast you could have. That's why the whole village would come to this. Uh, Verse 25, the servant references music and dancing and perhaps some hobbits singing some tunes. <laughs> right? The undeserving are reconciled. Have you ever been in a relationship like that where someone undeserving is reconciled? Someone who's lost is found? The younger son was melted by the father's sacrificial love and that was his way in to this new reality. Some of you have taken the path of the younger son. You just have. You, you've sought, you've gone to a far country. You've cast off authority in pursuit of meaning. My friend, there is no meaning outside of the Father's love for you. You cannot build the city to come on your own terms. You can't. You can't build the city to come by redeeming yourself. You can't redeem yourself. That's not the gospel. It's not how it works. You must receive the embrace of the Father. It's the only way into the new city. And a way is open for you. The Father's love, the Father's arms, not only are open to you, but are pursuing you. The Father is interrupting the speech that you're generating in your soul for Him to take you back. But not every person in the village came to the feast. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back, safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now, why was he angry? Why did he refuse to go in? He was on a different path. He was on the path of cold reciprocity. The path of, I play by the rules, and my father rewards me accordingly. And where has this path led him? This path has led the older brother into a place of anger and judgmentalism and isolation. Some of us are really drawn to this path, the path of reciprocity. We have a secret deal going with God. You know what, God? I'm going to serve you faithfully. I'm even going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be kind and loving. I'm going to even go to church. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to discipline myself to take care of my body and soul and mind. I'll do all those things, but you'd better come through for me. And you better come through for the people I care about. You better protect me from suffering. You'd better vindicate me in the eyes of others. I've delayed gratification. I expect the money and the spouse and the meaning that my soul longs for. You'd better bring justice to the people who are not on the path I'm taking. You better show them. All the people who are callous to the suffering of the city, you'd better show them. I have your heart, they don't. You better make them pay. You better bring about the new city, God, because I'm doing all I can to do what's right. You see, eventually this deal does not work out. God does not operate based on cold reciprocity. There's a deeper magic, isn't there? There's a deeper reality. And when it doesn't work out, if we're on this path, we get really angry. We get angry at God for not making it happen. We get angry at ourselves for not being committed enough, not being good enough, not doing it right. We get angry at other people because they're not on the path too, especially if they get the benefits from the Father that we've been after. When they get the fattened calf and we don't, and we've been playing by the rules and they clearly haven't, if we're on the path of reciprocity, we will be angry and we will be isolated. We also need the Father to come searching for us if we're on this path. Verse 28, second half. His Father came out and entreated him. You know what? If the Father hasn't already completely rocked the village with his scandalous behavior, he's just, he's just done the final thing to do that. Because this feast, he was the host of this feast. In first century Palestine, if you're throwing a party and you're the head of the party, you don't walk out of the party. Huge faux pas. Huge reputation killer. Does this father care? No. He leaves the party and goes searching for the son who is on the path of reciprocity. In verse 29, the, the older son answered his father, look. Now he doesn't call him father. He says, look. You. These many years I have served you. Interesting that both sons reference just being a servant. I'm just your servant. 
Just let me be a servant. Just give me your stuff. As many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The younger son just wanted his father's benefits, just went about getting it in a cold or in a very brash, bold way. The older son just wanted the father's benefits and found, found it through dutiful means, searched for it in dutiful ways. Verse 30, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Notice the venom. Notice the hate. Just a question. Who are you mad at? Who, who, you, is there someone that you, just, that you hope they get it? You hope they feel it? That can help us connect with the spirit of the older son, which may have crept into our hearts as well. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you're, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And this is not metaphorical. The father has already divided the property. It, there's no division between what the father has and what the son has. And the father references their relational proximity, which is completely off the radar of the older son. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate. It was fitting to be glad. For this brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Friends, if we're going to see the city to come, we need to seek the father of that city first. We need to want God more than God's benefits. Even the good things that God has promised, we need to seek God before those. We need to be melted by his love. We need all of his grace. We need all of his power. No one has the right to be in the new city. No one has the right to be in the city to come. The Father makes a way. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the family of this baby, baby Mary Diana. Mother is a graduate of Uplift High School. She comes from a Pakistani family. And right around this time, we've heard about some terrorist attacks in Paris. And you know what? I think there are a lot of people reading the Tribune about the story that's happened in our community and a lot of venom and vile and hate comes up to the surface. And, and, and people are ready to, for her to pay. She's facing first degree murder charges in the city of Chicago. Now I'm just wondering if there's anyone in our community who will step up and say, you know what, the Father's love has overflowed for me, and I want it to overflow for the mother, and for the mother's father, and for the mother's mother, and for the mother's family. Will she experience what all of us are looking forward to in Thanksgiving and Christmas? Will anyone visit her in prison? Will the Father... Will the Father's heart overflow for her through us? This is where the new city begins. In scandalous, forgiving love that has been melted by the love of God. And this is the Lord's call on us. We need to receive this love, whatever path we're on. 
And then we join the Father in cooking up an amazing, simple, joyful feast for people who totally believe that they don't belong there. That's where the new city starts. That's where it becomes tangible and visible and personal for people who feel totally on the outside. People may look at that and go, ah, you guys have a political motivation. Or you, they may misunderstand the actions. They may even not like it, not like us. Like the Father, we don't thrive on people's reputation of us. We thrive on love. That's how we operate. And that's what the city of God is built upon. Let me pray for all of us. Come Holy Spirit and help us be melted by the love of the Father. Thank you, Spirit, that you know the Father's heart so well. And you also know us so well, and you can even pray for us in ways we don't even know how to pray for. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill every heart here. Meet us in our sadness, in our fear, in our anger. And I pray that you would implant faith and vision of the city to come. And I pray that you would give us the tenderness of the Father's forgiveness and love for us, even though we don't deserve it. We pray for the Father's joy. And we also pray for the Father's legs. Let us run with him. Let us embrace and kiss those who do not feel that they are welcome at your table. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.